The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. In our current series, The God Who Builds, we're studying the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, going through the book verse by verse. Now, Nehemiah, as we've seen the last two weeks, was the governor of Jerusalem during some difficult times in the nation's history. Yet, even in these challenging times, God was doing some incredible things in their lives. And that leads us to the theme for our series this morning. God often does his greatest building at the very place of our most agonizing brokenness. Let's read verses 4 and 5 for our scripture reading this morning. Nehemiah chapter number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when I heard these words. Now the words he's referring to, the words that his brother told them, how the city of Jerusalem was broken down and the people were in distress, and really it wasn't a good time for their history. And when he had heard these words, he says, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech you, I beg you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible. Now, most translations will translate this word as awesome. This word is awesome. So he says, I beseech you, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God that keeps his covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. This morning, pastor is going to come and bring a message entitled, The God Who Builds Through Suffering. Well, as Pastor Nick was saying a moment ago, we are in Nehemiah. Uh, we're going verse by verse, and uh, we're going to be today in verses number four and verses number five. Now, in uh, our declaration, I guess you could say our theme for this morning is simply this. God doesn't just build us up in spite of of our brokenness, as we've been saying for several weeks now, but rather God literally builds us up through our brokenness. And, and sometimes we get this idea that when God is building something up and when God is developing lives, he does it in a way that's separated from our brokenness. And yet, as we're going to see all throughout this passage, is that God, both in a physical sense with the wall and also in a spiritual sense in our lives, he literally uses the very parts of our brokenness. He literally uses our, our, the brokenness of our past and the brokenness in our soul, and he, and he uses the pieces of our brokenness to literally build our future in the days ahead. And so this morning in our text, we're going to discover a few of Nehemiah's reactions to the suffering in his world. So let's just begin with reading from verse number four today. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, which brings us here to our first main point this morning, and that is simply this. Nehemiah is affected by the suffering of people. Nehemiah is affected by the suffering of people. Now, if you weren't here last week, we saw in verse number three some of what was taking place at this time in history for the uh, nation of Israel. Uh, the Bible says that they were in great affliction. There was a lot of physical brokenness and physical pain that they were experiencing. It goes on to say that they were in reproach. Uh, this speaks of almost an emotional brokenness. They, they were feeling humiliated. Uh, they were just feeling like they were good for nothing. And so there was a reproach, a shame that they were experiencing emotionally. As you go on, it says that the gates also, the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates thereof were burned with fire. They, they were experiencing a very real kind of civic or what we might refer to as a political brokenness. And so here at this stage in history for the nation of Israel, they were experiencing all kinds of brokenness. And so when Nehemiah, who's 150 miles away, hears the report, from his brother about what is taking place in verse number four it says he sat down and he wept and he mourned certain days so how does all this suffering and brokenness affect a spiritual individual like nehemiah the first thing we see in our passage is it caused him to mourn it caused him to mourn it says here he 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 wept it says in verse number four he mourned literally he was grieving have you ever had a time in your life where 
things were happening, maybe in the life of someone who is close to you, maybe in your own experience, whether it be in your marriage, in your relationships, maybe financially, maybe in your career, and you just were experiencing very real suffering in your life. And, and what Nehemiah does and what the Bible declares that, that he does is he, he literally weeps, he, he cries, he mourns, and he grieves. And, and I want to just say to you this morning that it is perfectly appropriate for a child of God who is either experiencing suffering or who sees suffering in the world around him, who sees brokenness in the world around him. I, I want to say to you today, it is okay to grieve. It's a healthy thing to mourn. It's a very normal thing to, to weep. I, I, I sometimes get this idea that people think that, well, when you're a Christian, you should always have a smile on your face, and, and you should always kind of, even if it's fake, even if it's not real, you're, that's what Christians do. Christians kind of put on a facade, they, they kind of pretend like everything's okay, and nothing ever bothers them, and everything's always perfect, but how many of you recognize that is not the reality of the world in which we live in? Not everything is always okay. Not everything is always peachy keen. Not everything is always going the way we want it to go. And sometimes, even when it's going well in our lives, like in the case with Nehemiah, there were people that he loved, there were people he cared about, and and they were really going through a terrible, difficult time in their lives. And so he grieves, he weeps, he he really comes to a place where he mourns on their behalf. And and I want to say to you today that it is perfectly normal and appropriate, and I believe even healthy, for Christians to have seasons of mourning and of grieving. And if that is not your perspective of Christianity, I want to encourage you to align your perspective with the Word of God. As you go through the pages of Scripture, you will find many characters, many what we would call godly, spiritual individuals who regularly would mourn, who would weep, Or we could go to the book of Job. We could see a man who was upright. Someone who loved God, who walked with God. And yet the Bible says he grieved. Or we could even go to the life of Jesus Christ. And everybody in this room would agree that Jesus Christ was a spiritual individual. And yet the Bible even says there were times where he would weep. Where he would mourn, where he would grieve for the state of people around him. I'm just trying to say today that when there is suffering in your life and when there's suffering in the lives of those around you, it's perfectly normal to grieve, to mourn. It's okay. Maybe you're going through something today and, and, and maybe you kind of have this feeling because of peer pressure or, or maybe somebody around you, you get this idea that, you know, you got you to gotta always keep it together. I mean, that's what Christians do, right? They, 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 they're always walking around pretending like they don't have problems and we got to kind of hold it in. And, and if we're not careful, we begin to suppress the brokenness. We begin to suppress that emotional pain. We begin to pretend like it doesn't exist. And I want to say to you today, that will do far more damage than grieving and mourning in a spiritually healthy manner. We see it caused them to grieve. I want to say it's okay to grieve. It's okay to sorrow. It's okay to mourn. In fact, Jesus says in the the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5 and verse number 4, he says, blessed are those who mourn. He says it's a good thing for people to mourn. He goes on to say, and they shall be comforted. When there's a humility of soul that says, God, this is where I'm at, and this is what's happening in our world, and and God, I I trust you, and I know you're in control, but the reality is on an emotional level, it hurts, and I'm suffering, and I'm grieving, and God says, Blessed, happy are they that mourn. I'd like to say this, it might be in your notes, but healing comes not by avoiding grief. 
Some people might have you to believe, well, if you want to heal emotionally, if you want your you know, psyche to come to a place of you know, spiritual healing, then you've got to avoid grief, and you've got to avoid mourning, and you've got to avoid sorrow. No, healing comes not by avoiding grief, but by embracing grief and embracing mourning with a heart of faith and hope. You see, as Christians, we do grieve. The Bible tells us as Christians we are to sorrow, but we don't sorrow as them that have no hope. You see, our sorrow is a little different because as we sorrow, we sorrow with a perspective that there is hope. We sorrow with a faith that believes that God is sovereign, He is provident, and He is in control. And that doesn't change how it emotionally feels, but it does change our outlook. It does change our perspective. It does change the posture of our soul as we engage that morning. And so, Nehemiah, as he hears these words from verse number 3, given to him by his brother, he grieves. He mourns, he literally weeps, and it's not just for like a minute. Notice what the passage says, he does this for several days. I mean, he's just in agonizing grief. It wasn't like, you know, had a good cry and then got over it. I mean, he's just in bitterness of soul over what's taking place to his country. But not only does he mourn, how does all this suffering and brokenness affect a spiritual individual like Nehemiah? It causes him to mourn, but I want you to see as we keep reading here, notice what the Bible says in verse number four. When he heard these words, I sat down, he said, I wept, mourned certain days, notice this, and fasted. Not only did he mourn, I want you to see it caused him to fast. It caused him to fast. Literally, Nehemiah was in such agony of soul, he wasn't, he wasn't even hungry. Have you ever been there in your life where you were just so grieved, you were so broken, you were, such in, you were in such agonizing pain that you literally, like, like food didn't even seem good to you. You, 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 like, didn't even want to eat. And that's kind of the state in which Nehemiah finds himself in. He's just in such bitterness of soul. He's in such pain that he literally just begins to fast. And, and there might have been a component of fasting on their behalf, but there was probably also a component of fasting that was just like, I crave something more than physical food. I so badly want to see God intervene in this situation. I am, my, my heart is so grieved. I, I, would, I, just, I want to experience God even more than I want to experience uh, physical food in this moment. And, and that's what Nehemiah is experiencing as we read through verse number 4. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 9, verse 29, Jesus says unto them, Some kind comes forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Sometimes it just takes a spiritual individual saying, you know what, I I just got to give myself to prayer and to fasting. We did a study on fasting several months back. And fasting is just coming to a place in our heart where we say, God, I so desperately want to experience you. I so desperately want to be satisfied with you that, that I'm willing to give up even physical food to experience that. I literally want your presence. I want your comfort even more than I want to eat something. And that's Nehemiah's spirit in this moment. You can just sense what's happening. And so we see here as Nehemiah is affected by the suffering of people, it causes him to mourn. It causes him to literally fast. Let's keep reading. And he says he mourned certain days and fasted, notice this, and prayed before the God of of heaven. Not only did this cause him to mourn, and not only did this news cause him to fast, but I want you to see here that this news caused him to pray. Where does your heart automatically go in seasons of suffering, in seasons of grief, in seasons of mourning? Where does your focus go to? I think it's a good question to ask ourselves. What I find interesting about this passage is as Nehemiah is grieving, as he is just in bitterness of soul, as he's mourning all that's taking place to his countrymen, 
There's something about the way he's wired. There's something about what God's grace has done in his life that literally causes him to come boldly to the throne of grace. To bend his knee before the Lord. And there's something about him that that causes him to, to turn his voice toward the God of heaven. And lift up his voice in prayer recognizing that God was able to do something in this situation that he, in and of himself, could never do. And what this reveals about the person of Nehemiah is it reveals an utter humility and dependence upon the sovereign God of the universe. Nehemiah recognized that the challenges that the people of Israel were facing were far bigger than anything he could change himself. As he prays, it reveals a posture of his heart that recognizes that his dependence is wholly on the God of heaven. You see, his prayer was not just a prayer of wanting to get something from God. I'm sure we're going to see as this plays out, there's there's an aspect of that to his prayer. But what we see in this prayer is it reveals something about the heart of Nehemiah. It reveals something about his spirit of humility. It reveals something about the dependence that he has on God. This dependence just wasn't kind of manufactured in the moment that he got this news. This was kind of the posture of Nehemiah's heart. The posture of his heart was one of, man, God is much bigger than I am. He's much stronger and he's much more powerful than I am. And when Nehemiah comes face to face with news that would cause his heart to suffer and to grow grieved and mourn and weep, there's just something about Nehemiah that caused him to have to go to God in prayer. And so I ask you today, what's the posture of your heart? Is it a posture that recognizes that God is not just like a nice add-on to your lifestyle. He's absolutely vital to its ongoing existence. That's what Nehemiah recognized here. It was just this humble expression to God of, God, I'm dependent upon you. Our nation is dependent upon you. And God, if you don't do something, there's nothing that can be done. And so Nehemiah is affected by the suffering of people, and it causes him to mourn. It causes him to fast, and it causes him to pray, which kind of segues into our next main point this morning. And, and, and that's this. We're going we're gonna to begin to look at Nehemiah's prayer that begins in verse number 5 and goes down through the end of the chapter. I want you to see in verse number five how Nehemiah begins to pray. Notice it says, He prayed before the God of heaven, the end of verse four, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. And so we see second of all today, not only do we see that Nehemiah is affected by the suffering of people, but I want you to notice in verse number five that Nehemiah acknowledges the supremacy of God. This is huge. You see, Nehemiah's knee-jerk reaction is the grace of God was working in his heart and working in his life as he's going through this suffering, as he's going through a season of grief, as he's going through a time of mourning in his life where he's weeping. You see that Nehemiah acknowledges the supremacy of God even in the midst of this horrible, difficult situation. And that's what he says, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Do you see Nehemiah here? He's acknowledging the supremacy of God, the greatness of God, the awesomeness of God, even as he finds himself smack dab in the middle of suffering, in the middle of brokenness, and in the middle of pain. His heart posture is one to recognize that even though things in his life are not going good, and even though his life is experiencing some difficult times, and even though there are people around him that are suffering, that doesn't change the fact that his God is still great, his God is still awesome, his God is still on the throne in the heavenlies. He acknowledges the awesomeness of God, the supremacy of God, even when he finds his situation and circumstances at their worst. 
Nehemiah acknowledges the supremacy of God. Can I say to us today, it's, it's so important. I would even go a step further. It's incredibly spiritually healthy to view our burdens and our trials and our difficulties and our pains through the lens of God's supremacy and greatness. And this is what has the potential of setting the Christian apart from his unsaved counterpart. You see, somebody with no faith in God, yes, they experience suffering. And yes, they will experience burdens. And yes, they will experience trials. And so will the believer, the Christian. Don't don't adhere to this belief or ideology that Christians don't experience pain. That, that if you're doing what God wants you to do, that you'll never, you know, be hurt. That, that's not a biblical concept. The difference is not that, well, the unbeliever experiences pain and the believer who's living right with God, they don't experience pain. That, that's not how the dichotomy works. The dichotomy works by recognizing that when a Christian is experiencing brokenness and burdens and pain and trials, the difference is they have a hope. And can I say this? Their hope, as Nehemiah is going to state in just a minute, his hope is not even in the fact that it's all going to get better. Because, because even an unbeliever can, can have this hope that, well, maybe all the, all the issues and all the circumstances, maybe they'll all change and they'll all be good. The, the hope of the believer transcends that circumstances will get better. You see, the believer has a hope that regardless of whether circumstances and situations get better, their hope is in the God of heaven. Their hope is in the one who is supreme and sovereign over all, that even in the midst of our difficulties and even in the midst of our pains and even in the midst of our trials, that God is working all things together for good. You see, the hope is that God is in charge. The ultimate hope is that God has a purpose and a reason for why he allows his children to go through valleys of the shadow of death. And that is what separates the Christian from the unbeliever. The unbeliever can only hold to the hope that maybe things will get better. The Christian can experience a peace that passeth understanding, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. They can learn to love the unlovable even when circumstances never come together the way their flesh would hope they are. Why? Because they recognize a transcendent truth that God is ultimately supreme. That he is ultimately in control, that he is sovereign and he is provident over all. And while we might pray that God would change the circumstance, and there's nothing wrong with that, we can have hope even in the middle of the difficulty when the circumstances are not changing the way we would like to see them change. We have a higher hope that God has a purpose for our pain. That he is present with us in the midst of our brokenness. That he is acquainted with our griefs and our sorrows. He knows what it's like to be a human being. He knows what it's like to feel what we feel and go through what we go through. And the hope we have is that he is present with us as we go through these dark seasons. And that he has a purpose for every single aspect of it. That is the ultimate hope that we have as a believers. And yes... Sometimes God even chooses in his sovereignty to fix the health situation. But as some of you in this room have experienced, sometimes he doesn't. And he is still God. He is still on the throne. He is still supreme. And he still has a purpose whether we realize it or not. Oh, Nehemiah acknowledges the supremacy of the sovereignty, the greatness of God, even in the midst of this pain and brokenness. 
I love what he says in verse number five. He says, I beseech thee, Lord God of heaven and great, terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy. Literally, I see here that Nehemiah, he is saying it's, it's really all about God. And that's the title of our series, The God Who Builds. We, we didn't call our series Nehemiah the Builder. <laughs> you say, why didn't we call it Nehemiah the Builder? Because ultimately, this story that we find in the middle of the Old Testament, this story is ultimately not about Nehemiah. Ultimately, Nehemiah's story is not about him at all. Ultimately, Nehemiah's story is about God. And you're going to see the supremacy and sovereignty of God literally woven through the text of this entire book. And I'll even take it a step further. My story is ultimately not about me. And your story is ultimately not about you. And our story as a church is ultimately not about us. My friends, all of our stories, your story and my story and our story collectively are ultimately just tiny subplots in God's ultimate grand story of humanity's redemption. That's the big story. The big story is that we have a God in heaven who so desperately wants to redeem the brokenness of mankind that he will allow brokenness into our tiny subplot if in his ultimate sovereignty and all-knowing omniscience believes that it will move the story of humanity's redemption to greater kingdom impact. You are part of something bigger. You're part of something grander. And when you get so focused on your little subplot and you get so focused on what you're going through, you can sometimes miss the grand story, the big story, what God's really up to. And that is humanity's redemption. We live in America, and we want to try to convince ourselves that ultimately it's all about me. Your story is not ultimately about you, and our story here at this church is not ultimately about us. The story is ultimately about the supremacy of God and his sovereign plan to redeem the human race through the person of Jesus Christ. God wants to get to a place where all things that are brokenness, broken can be made new in his son, Jesus. And he will allow a lot of different things into your story so that th this grand story of redemption can come to place. It's vital when we feel burdened and broken that we're viewing that hurt through the greater lens of who God actually is. I'm just here to say, it, it, if, if we don't get to a place where we grow in this grace, where we learn to see our trials and our pains and our struggles through the grand lens of God's supremacy, we're going to cause ourselves even more pain than we need to. But when we can get to a place of grace where we can experience the pain and brokenness and we can see it and perceive it through the lens of God's sovereignty and God's supremacy and his goodness and greatness even in the midst of our brokenness, it changes everything. So how does a spiritual individual like Nehemiah acknowledge God in the midst of grief and sorrow? I want you to notice a couple of things here as we read through verse number five. First, he refers to God as Lord, or as the Hebrews would say, Yehovah. This speaks of the aspect of God. that He is self-existent, that he is eternal, that he is supreme. And so the first thing Nehemiah says is he says, ah, oh, Yehovah. He says to, he, he literally declares with his lips to his own soul that God is eternal. He always has been, he always will be, and he is supreme over all. And in doing so, Nehemiah acknowledges that God is in control of all the brokenness. As he cries out, Jehovah, he literally acknowledges that God is in control over all the suffering in the world and in our lives. 
and none of it is taking him by surprise. I am not trying to say that God creates all the brokenness. I'm not saying God causes all the brokenness. But what I am saying is it is all father-filtered, and none of it takes him by surprise. And there's no aspect of it that his providence doesn't work together for the ultimate plan of humanity's redemption. There is a purpose. There is a plan. And so Nehemiah cries out, Jehovah, self-existent, eternal, all-powerful, supreme one. He says, Jehovah, verse 5. But then he goes on to say here, not only does he refer to him as Lord, but he refers to him as the God of heaven in the middle of verse number five. And in doing so, Nehemiah acknowledges that God is sovereignly reigning over all. He's saying this God is a God in heaven. This God is reigning over all upon the earth. He reigns over all the brokenness, all the pain, and all the suffering the world has. And he reigns over it with power and authority. Nehemiah recognized, even, even though in his world, this, this, the, his, his people, the, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, they're going through incredible pain. Their enemies are attacking them. They're afflicted, physically speaking. They're under reproach. They feel humiliated. They, they just feel like they're good for nothing. Relationally, they're broken. Parts of families are in one city. Other parts are in another. There's schism among the nation of Israel. And yet, Nehemiah, knowing all of this, he refers to God as the God of heaven. The one who reigns over it all. And this is Nehemiah's perspective as he engages the pain in his world. But not only does he say this, I want you to see, he also refers to, in verse number five, he says, the great and terrible God. He says, God is great. What? When life is falling apart, God is great? Yes. When things are not going the way Nehemiah wanted them to go, God was still great? Yes. When his countrymen were struggling, God was great? Yes. That's what Nehemiah is declaring. He's, he's saying there are some real physical realities of brokenness. He's not sugarcoating the truth. In fact, it grieves him so deeply, he weeps and he cries for many days. It has such an emotional impact, but he does not allow the fact of what he sees around him to change the belief and faith of what he knows is above him. And that's the promise that he has, that God is supreme and sovereign and even great in the midst of it all. See, do you have a theology, and what I mean by that is a view of God, that changes based on what happens in the circumstances around you? This is a good question to ask yourself. You say, sometimes I'll hear somebody say, oh, God's so good when something good happens. And, and that's right, God is good when something good happens. But can I say this? God is also good when something bad happens. What? That's what Nehemiah is declaring. That's what he's acknowledging. That God is great even when everything in his world is falling apart. And this is what allows Nehemiah to experience such incredible spiritual health. Because his theology, his view of God, is not dictated by the circumstances and situations around him. Well, I've got lots of money in the bank. God's great. Oh, my job just got a promotion. God's great. Oh, I'm, I got a boyfriend. I got a girlfriend. Oh, life is great, you know? Man, see, if we're not careful, we only acknowledge God as being great when our circumstances are great, and in doing so, we make our circumstances our God. Your God transcends your circumstances and life situations. He's bigger and grander and greater and more supreme than whatever the life circumstances are around you. He's greater than that. And we need to have a biblical theology of who God is. Our God is not limited by our circumstances. He transcends them. 
And so he says, great. And the word he uses next here in the Hebrew is the word yare. Back in the 1600s, they would use the word terrible and incredible and mighty. Like when an, when an ocean would rage, they would say yare. But it speaks of this idea of this awesomeness, which is why most translations would translate this particular word as the word awesome. Yare. He's great. He's awesome. And that's our God. He's God even over the storm. He's God in the brokenness. And in doing so, as he refers to God as Yahweh, Nehemiah acknowledges that God will ultimately accomplish good through the brokenness and the suffering that we face. And he has a purpose for it. And he says, God, you're great. You're awesome. God, you're going to work. you're, You're great enough and awesome enough to work this together for good. And then he refers to him, notice at the end, he says, the one that keepeth covenant and mercy for them. He refers to him, he says, hey, you're the one who keeps your promises. You keep your, you keep your covenant and you do it with mercy. You say, what does that mean? Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And he says, God is merciful in keeping his promises to us even when we've not deserved it, even when we've not earned it. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Why? Because he is merciful. He refers to God as the one who keeps covenant, who gives mercy. In doing so, Nehemiah acknowledges what? That God will eventually fulfill his grand promise to make all things right in the universe again. It might happen in your lifetime. It might not. But eventually, God will keep his promise. He'll keep his covenant to make all things right again, just like he promised to Adam and Eve with that first Adamic covenant in Genesis chapter number three, that eventually all things would be made new. And so, as Nehemiah prays, he understands Old Testament theology. And he says, the one that keeps covenant. First Chronicles, chapter number 29, verse 11 says this. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted of head above all. So we see Nehemiah is affected by the suffering of people. But I want you to see Nehemiah acknowledges the supremacy of God even in the midst of this suffering. I'm going to do something a little different right now. I just want to take a moment and just kind of maybe kill a few birds with one stone. But uh, as I was just reading through this and thinking through this this week, it's amazing as I think out across the group right here, how many of you, in, in, in incredible ways, exemplify what it is we're talking about this morning? And, and, I, and I mean this. There are those of you, you've, you've endured incredible suffering and brokenness and pain, whether it was health, whether it's financially, uh, whether it's just, you know, through the different seasons that you find yourself in life. And it's been such a blessing as a pastor to see so many of you have a perspective and a worldview that is theologically accurate. Where even in the midst of the suffering and the difficult times and the hard times, there's a, not just verbally articulating with your voice the greatness of God, but it it just manifests through your spirit. And I I could literally go around right now, and there's so many of you on so many different levels who have exemplified this, and this has been your testimony in in so many incredible ways. And I want to say this, I love, love, love getting to sit down with some of you over lunch or a coffee. And as you're sharing some of what you're wrestling through, and sometimes we weep together. Sometimes we pray together. Sometimes we talk. To see that so many of you exemplify 
the life and the testimony that Nehemiah exemplified in this passage, and it just, it's incredible. One of the families that came to mind when I think about this, it's a little bittersweet, you know, thinking about it a little bit, um, is uh, Greg and Carol Peters, and some of you know Greg and Carol, and uh, we're so thankful for this couple, and uh, on so many levels over the years, uh, they've been personally acquainted uh, with brokenness on, on, a lot of different, on a lot of different levels. And one of the things that just encourages me, the Bible says in Proverbs, you know, uh, every man will declare his own goodness, uh, but faithful people, who can find? And what that verse is saying is a lot of people can talk the talk. <laughs> but it's amazing to find somebody who literally just year after year just is faithful. More than just, you know, saying something with words, but really, you know, with, with the life. And some of you know, uh, Greg, and Peter, Greg and Carol Peters have been members here for well over 20 years in formal covenant relationship with this church family, and uh, we just love them to death. I mean, they're just, I mean, honestly, other than maybe about five or six of you in this room, you know, they've been here longer than anybody, you know, in, in, in so many ways. And uh, uh, Carol recently retired, and uh, uh, they've been talking about it for some time, but they're going to be moving this week. Uh, heading all the way ar- across the country after, after 20 years of being a part of our church family. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just say this, uh, we're going to miss you guys terribly. Man, we are. But I'm so thankful for the testimony that God's just allowed you to exhibit. Um, just, I'm talking good times, bad times. And I- I'll say this, uh, and I-, I could speak to both of you. If, if you know Greg for any length of time, he's always just got a smile. And, and these, this couple have served over the last couple decades um, in so many incredible ways, from serving as ministry coordinators to serving as uh, connection group leaders, uh, served on the worship team for many, many years. Uh, for me personally, it's kind of emotional. I mean, I mean, I remember running around with your kids as teenagers and having, you know, staying over at your house, you know, 15, 16 years old and stuff. And so this has been a, a long, long history. But one of the reasons I, I take the opportunity to just even recognize this couple is in ways that probably most of you won't know, uh, they've experienced a lot of pain. They've experienced a lot of brokenness, a lot of trials. And yet it's so incredible to just see how the grace of God has just worked in their life year in and year out in just such incredible faithful, faithful ways. And th- these, this couple would be the first one to admit they're not perfect. But they're also a couple that would recognize that the grace of God is, is bigger than the perf- you, know, you know, doing everything just perfect. And I, I, I think more than on one occasion, Carol, my wife and I have been talking and just we think about, you know, some of, as a pastor, you get, you're privy to things that, you know, go on in people's lives that maybe the whole church isn't always aware of. And yet it's amazing to me every time your name comes up, just the grace that you've been able to, you know, demonstrate year in and year out. And uh, it just, it speaks to our heart, and that's, that's, one of the, that's one of our desires, is that the Lord would kind of give us that as well. And so this is really nothing in comparison, you know, to just your testimony and your friendship to so many of us. But we just wanted to recognize more than you as individuals, um, you know, we just wanted to recognize your great God. And uh, just your willingness to surrender to his grace and work through you, through good times, bad, broken, healing, all of it. And thank you for decades of faithfulness and service to the Lord. And uh, we love you. Would you just join me in uh, thanking the Peters for their years of ministry? We love you guys. I like to say something. I like to say something. I don't think I can say anything <laughs> outside of I love you guys. And if you guys could all come to Mississippi with us, it'd be the perfect move. I know that's not possible, so I just ask that you continue to keep us in your prayers. Pray for our sons, and we'll always pray for Ambassador because you are our family. I just want to thank everyone for I just first of all, I want to thank God for putting us in the path of each other. Uh, it's not by accident; it's by God's choice. And um, we're really going to miss every one of you guys here, and we love you. And just keep us in our prayer, in your prayers, as we are traveling to Mississippi next Sunday. 
and we love you and we're going to miss you. Thank you. Sometimes we can read passages like the one we just read and think, oh, that was like super Christians, you know, that lived thousands of years ago. And yet what, I'm, what I want you to recognize is that the same grace that God uses in the lives of individuals, the same spirit that these individuals had a thousand years, 1,500, 2,000 years ago, is the same spirit that we have today, the same grace that we have access to today. And it's something that is possible today. So let me just, let me wrap up with this, and I want to get, just give me, give me five or six minutes to get really practical for a moment as we kind of tie this up, because I want you to be able to walk away with something that maybe you can utilize even tomorrow as you're at your workplace, you know? As we've been saying, like Nehemiah, it is totally okay to grieve. I, I saw some tears just a moment ago, even out here. That's not a bad thing, all right? It's okay to feel the emotional pain of separation, it's okay to weep, to hurt. In fact, I'm going to take it a step further. Not only is it okay, I'm going to say this. I believe it's healthy and good to grieve. In fact, you show me a person who hasn't properly grieved and mourned change and transition and loss and brokenness. I'll show you a person who's suppressing some things that's going to come back long term to hurt them in even more tragic ways. Not only is it okay, I think the Bible would teach us that it's good. But let me caution you with this. While you feel the hurt and the suffering, and while you sense it and while you experience it, I want to encourage you with this, to learn how to separate the emotional anguish of grief and pain with kind of the what maybe we would refer to as just kind of the psychological elements of it. And what I mean by that is be careful when you're experiencing your brokenness, and maybe it's in your marriage or maybe it's with your finances or maybe it's with your health. Be very, very careful that as you grieve emotionally, that you're careful not to let your mind run wild with creating a bunch of different stories in your head about why you feel the way you do and what it is and how this is happening and how this is going to come together. Can I encourage you to do this? Just let it hurt. But be very careful that you don't allow your mind to start writing all these stories and all these narratives about this is what's going to happen and that's what, you know, and if I could have changed this, then this would have been different. And if, if I would have said that, then the Peters would never be leaving right now, you know. And, and we start writing all these stories, you know, about, well, when, when, you know, if this happens in my marriage, then that's going to happen. And all of a sudden we exaggerate the grief and the mourning and the sorrow. And as a pastor, I want to encourage you very, very succinctly with this. Sorrow. Grieve. Mourn. But keep your heart and your mind fixed on Jesus. This is big. Because if you start, man, when you're going through pains and trouble and agony and all of a sudden you're feeling it, that's one thing. Feel it. Feel it to your core. Let the brokenness hurt. We live in a broken world. We need to grieve that. If we don't, it'll suppress. It won't be healthy spiritually and emotionally. But be very careful with starting to write a psychological narrative that says, oh, if I just did that differently in my marriage, if I would have done that differently in my work, if I wouldn't have done that or if I wouldn't have done those things, and we start living in condemnation and guilt and shame and we allow that that to totally then begin to drive us into our future to where all of a sudden we're worried about this and feeling anxious about that. What if that happens? And what if those things happen? We exaggerate pain in incredible ways. And so I want to encourage you emotionally, let it hurt. But I need to caution you. I need to, I need to warn you. The moment you allow your mind Start writing these stories and narratives and what ifs and, you know, what if that happens or if I would have done, I'm just telling you, 
you're creating far, far, far more pain for yourself and for those around you than God really intends. So feel it, mourn it, grieve it, but don't make it worse by letting your mind go crazy with all the whys and the what ifs. It's not healthy. This is why the Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are what? Behind. This is why Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. But be still and know that he is God. He is sovereign and he is supreme. He is great and he is awesome. And he is the God of heaven who rules and reigns over all the affairs of man in ways that our finite human minds could never begin to understand. And that's what happens when we start thinking wise and what ifs. We are trying to put ourselves in the place of God. And we do it to our own hurt. So let us simply allow God's grace, not, not repressing it. Just let it hurt, but don't intensify it through the wives and what ifs. So the takeaway is this. It's good to grieve. Like we said a couple of weeks ago, we don't have to be a Pollyanna, head-in-the-clouds type person running around pretending like nothing's bad and nothing hurts and everything's perfect. That's not the way a Christian lives. A Christian recognizes the dark, broken realities that exist in our world today. We don't put our head in the sand and pretend that none of it's real. We accept it for what it is by the sovereignty of God. But then on the flip side, we don't allow the realities of what is affect the focus that we have on God. We don't allow it to change our focus and get our focus on lesser things. No, We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we see our brokenness and we see the situations and the circumstances through the perspective and lens of his awesome, great, powerful person. And we let that reality then filter and cause us to interpret and perceive what we see in our situation through that lens, and it will change everything. When you can learn to see the reality of what is, through the lens of heaven, the lens of who God is for you. So it is good to grieve, but grieve to God. I would say it this way, grieve through God, through his supremacy, through his sovereignty, through his providence, through his goodness, through his greatness. May you grieve through those realities. And let that grieving then heal you on a holistic level. Next week, we're going to continue our study here through the book of Nehemiah, verse by verse. This week, we looked at literally the God who builds through suffering. We're going to read down through verses number 6 to 11 next week. And we're going to see the God who builds through prayer. Don't miss it. It'll be a help and an encouragement to you as we keep marching through this book of the Bible. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.